Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting? We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson. I'm Danielle DiLorenzo. And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. How are you, Amira? I'm doing good today. It's a little rainy, but it's still a beautiful day. How are you today, Danielle? I'm exhausted because my child won't let me sleep, but that's okay. Mom life, right? Today, we are going to be talking about the myths in early intervention. This episode is sponsored by Mornings with an OT Mom. My mission is to create a platform to empower, uplift, and educate other parents, students, professionals, and anyone else interested in all things OT, EI, schools, and everything else in between. If you would like to know more information, you can check out my website at www.daniellelorenzo.com. There are many things that we have all heard within our profession about our profession that is exactly that, a myth. So today we are going to dive into a couple of those myths that you might have come across or experienced as an early intervention practitioner. Amira, one myth that I've heard is that babies are fragile and I would love to hear your thoughts on the fragility of babies. You know, I love talking about babies and in a sense, babies can be fragile. I get why that's a myth. I get why people say that, especially when we're talking about babies that have been born premature or babies that have spent time in the NICU or babies who are medically fragile. Yes, but babies are strong. They are resilient and I love working with them so much because they show you their strength in their own little way. So Sarah, what do you think? I'm sure you've also heard this myth that babies are fragile. What are your thoughts? I have heard this all the time, all the time. And actually, I probably even believed this before starting to work in early intervention and just thinking that babies, they're so young, they're so little, especially when we're thinking about like the like the really, really young ones that barely have head and neck control and and all that kind of stuff. Like you kind of sit there and you're like, oh, they're so fragile. But in my years working in early intervention, I have realized how strong these babies really are. And I think just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Amira, earlier, I think some of the concepts around babies being fragile might tie into more of the medical complexities that we might see because I have had kiddos that have a lot of health concerns and a lot of different things happening with them where if they get the common cold, if they get sick, they get sent to the hospital. So in that sense, they could be perceived as more fragile. But when we're talking about them as as a human, as a being, they are some of the strongest humans, strongest beings that I've ever met before. And they overcome some challenges that they're faced with very early on in life. And the word that you said, Amira, resilient. And I think it's one of those myths that I hear all the time that I really want to kind of dispel and make people understand that babies are not fragile. They are resilient and they can do so much with their little bodies. So Danielle, what are your thoughts on this? Not only are babies resilient and 
so fascinating to just look at on a research-based level. I I mean, I loved holding my teeny tiny baby for the first time as my own completely different thought process. I knew about how resilient a little baby was before I had my own, but it's still when you look and you're like, I don't want to break you. I need to make sure you're breathing. Right. But one of the things I wanted to talk about is the communication that a newborn has. There are six states of awareness that newborns have. They have the ability to tell you when they're upset through their crying and their fussy behaviors. They're in a state of activeness or quiet or drowsy or an active light sleep or like a quiet or deep sleep. And most people don't realize that newborns go through these cycles and states of awareness. And those already, this baby just coming earthside is like, hey, I'm telling you everything that I need just by watching me. And I think that's where as early intervention practitioners, we really help show the parents, look at how much your baby is actually communicating to you at such a young age. So I think we all squashed that myth of babies are fragile. And what what is that show? Mythbusters? (laughs) (laughs) Myth busted, number one. Yes. Myth busted, number one. So I'm going to throw this at Sarah because you have had to do early intervention in Los Angeles. How do you not hate your life driving from house to house, from location to location? Because, you know, does driving suck? Does it really suck so much in early intervention? Talk to me about it. The short answer, no. (laughs) The long answer, And again, this is something that I get asked all the time when people are like, wait, hold on. You work in Los Angeles. You drive to your clients' houses all day long. Do you not just pull your hair out because of traffic? And really what I have learned over my years of experience in early intervention is that my drive time is like my sanctuary time. That is when I get in the car. I can tune out the world if I want to. I can turn on the radio. I can put on a podcast like one you're listening to right now. I can call a friend. I can call a family member. I can do whatever I want to do within that 10, 15, 30 minutes, whatever it is that I, however long it takes me to get to my next appointment. And it is my time. And I can be interrupted if I want to, if somebody does call me or anything like that, but I can just do whatever it is that I need. And after working in schools and working in outpatient pediatric clinics, I have come to value that time where I invest all of myself with my clients when I'm with them. And then when I'm in my car, I'm like, this is my time. And it is absolutely beautiful. And one of the other really big pieces about the drive time is because I take a lot of fieldwork students and that is our debrief time. That's our prep time for the session coming up. That is us talking about the session that we just left. That is us talking about anything that pops up within our day. And we get into some of the deepest conversations that are absolutely amazing. And I really feel like in other practice areas, that time can be extremely limited or also interrupted. And for us, it's like we always know that we have a couple periods throughout the day that we can touch base and talk about cases or anything like that. So for me, driving does not suck in early intervention. I love it when I have that time. And I really do think it's it's something that is so unique about that practice area. I love that you said your car is your sanctuary. I feel the exact same way. And I've set up my car to feel like that. So I have the air fresheners that I love. I love vanilla scent. That is my, that's my smell. I like it. I get in the car. I feel happy. I have a little seat cushion. So I think it's important to just set up your car the way that you're going to feel comfortable. 
I also think that especially if you're an introvert, so I would call myself an introvert. And because the job is so much of giving yourself to your families and your coworkers, if you're on a team-based approach, so I would have like joint visits. So I need that time and that space to just take a few deep breaths, especially if I'm, you know, working with families, other providers, siblings, it's a lot of being on during the day. So I like to have those 15 to 20 minutes to go and just kind of take a mindful breath as Danielle calls it. (laughs) So I like that. And I think that when I was in my field work setting in a pediatric, I didn't have that because I would do a 60 minute session and then I would have, you know, a 30 minute break, but I would have to be talking to my CI or I would be observing something. So I was just constantly going, going, going. So I also find that I'm not as exhausted when I get home because I've had time throughout the day to have those moments of peace and calmness in my little car sanctuary. (laughs) I mirror everything you all are saying. I love it. I used to have to sit in the Philadelphia traffic on the 76 going in and out of Philly for over a year, but it gave me an opportunity to learn new roads. I used to find all of the different backways I can get to my clients' homes. I used to really analyze traffic patterns and build my schedule to work with what I needed during the day to make sure I was in the least amount of traffic. And since I did assessments in different counties, I used to have farm roads that I would have to take sometimes and other ways. And I would just be able to tune out and relax. And also I love setting up your car, you need, you're going to be in your car. And if you set up your car to make it meet your needs, it makes all the difference. And just to piggyback a little bit more off of why driving doesn't suck and why within early intervention, it can be used to your advantage. I run my errands during my breaks and it's an opportunity for you to be able to just catch up on things that you wouldn't have to wait at a typical nine to five job until the end of the day or your weekends or time off. You really can embed things and make it work in your favor. Once you realize the kind of schedule you have and how much time you set aside during your appointments and work on how many kids you need to see in one day. So even though driving might seem like it sucks, I think, again, myth number two is busted. Another myth that we hear is that kids are just going to develop all on their own. So are you really making a difference? I think this goes back to that debate of nature versus nurture and It's a mixture of both that the kids need to develop. So yes, naturally, they are going to develop, especially we know between the ages of birth to three, that is just a time where they're rapidly developing. But I think that we can nurture that development. We can give the families the tools and the resources, the supports and the services that they need to help that development along the way, especially for our kiddos who may have been born premature or have a diagnosis that we already know is going to set them up to possibly have a delay in development. So I think that goes, like I said, back to that nature versus nurture and it being a combination of both. And that's kind of where we come in and nurturing that development. I also think that shows why early intervention is so critical because this is the time when they are developing and this is the time when we can really set them up for success as they get older. Sarah, what do you think? Have you heard this before? Oh, I've heard all of these before. And 
I agree. I think there is this natural progression of development, but the kiddos, they're coming into contact with us for a reason. And like Amira, what you said, it could be prematurity. It could be exposure to drugs. It could be because of a diagnosis. It could be because of trauma or abuse or anything like that. And we know how some of these things can affect development and how they can affect the human body. And so a lot of times what I've seen is where the kiddos are progressing and they are developing, but they might be developing in ways that are not going to set them up for future success, where maybe they strengthen one side of their body, but they really kind of don't attend to another side of their body. So then you start to see some differences in strength, differences in coordination, differences in how they're moving. And really with just a little bit of assistance and support, education for the family, and just kind of helping these kiddos start to feel their bodies, how they really should be moving, all of a sudden it just sets them up on a completely different stage for the future. So while I agree that development is natural, there are a lot of ways because our kiddos are so smart that they learn to compensate and they start to do things that again, don't set them up for that success in the future. So Danielle, I want to pull in the parent perspective here because a lot of times we might be dealing with parents that are first-time parents or foster parents that have never even had any experience having kids or even being around kids before. So in your perspective, being an early intervention practitioner, as well as a parent with your first kid, what comes to mind when we're talking about this development piece and it occurring organically, but then also really what good does parent education play in this role? I love that you asked me that because that's exactly where I was going to go. Now I had my own real baby to test out all these cool theories on. And as much as I was a first-time mom with all of those anxieties and fears naturally that comes with being a mom or a parent, I also knew the development side of it. And for the first year of Luke's life, I documented his life every day in developmental milestones. And what I noticed about Luke was he had his own developmental pattern. I noticed from day one because he did sustain a traumatic birth. So now we're actually talking about a kiddo that was subjected to something that impacted his development, right? And what I saw was him naturally develop on his own. But what I also saw was when we implemented certain strategies, I literally saw the connections being formed in his brain and the new tasks being able to be learned, which then further projected his development on a positive path. So you have kind of these two things that are simultaneously occurring. You have the child's natural developmental progression. That's why I always say your kids should walk between the ages of 10 months and 18 months. That's a very long range. If they're not walking closer to that 18, 19 month mark, then I'm going to start to have a little bit more of a concern when then there's not, they're not walking at that like 12, 13, 14 month mark yet. Because remember, you have this projection of what typical development looks like, but it's literally just the smack dab middle. It's exactly what is just the average of what kids do at what age. But every child has their own unique developmental path that they follow. And when a child is impacted by disability, disease, or illness and has an early intervention practitioner come in their home and help support the parent in the child's own developmental path, that is when you see the natural development. Developmental progression with boosts 
when the strategies are provided in those areas that need additional support. And that is what I saw with Luke. I even just watched him do it at his most recent speech session on Monday. We were talking about making sure that he completes his full word with the end sound. And I saw something that his speech pathologist was doing. And I was like, I'm going to try this. And I tried it in the natural environment. And Luke was adding his end sounds to his words all day. And then what happened was we saw that start to click. And then when he was using them spontaneously, he added the end sound. So again, I think we have busted this myth that yes, development is naturally occurring, but we have such an important role to play for kiddos that aren't following a normal developmental path or having some delays that are going to require that additional support. And that's why we are so critical to come in at this time. Another myth is that early intervention is just like outpatient peds, but in the home. And that all we do is work in the home. Amira, do you find that to be accurate? So early intervention occurs in the natural environment. And I think that's what I actually had to learn because I also thought EI was only in the home. And then I kept hearing natural environment, natural environment. Where do we spend our days? It's not just in the home. We go to the grocery store. We go to the park on nice days. We go to the library. Kids go to preschool. Those are all considered natural environments. So those are all places that EI providers can work. So some of my first few sessions were actually outside at like the neighborhood park. This was, of course, pre-COVID. And then I also had sessions at a preschool at like a Head Start Center. So we're not just in the home because families don't just spend 24-7, 365 days a year in the home. They're out. So we are able to go and do the therapy in their natural environments. And we do these occupations everywhere throughout the day. And we know that what is a kid's like most important occupation is play. So that's why we are all over the place because we are supporting them in play. So Danielle, speaking of play, let's talk about one of the biggest myths I think that just pediatric OTs can all relate to with this one. Let's hear it. The biggest myth that we have heard is all you do is play all day. Yeah, we sure do. We play and play and play. I'm sorry you didn't pick a profession where you play all day, but we play. But there is such a scientific methodology behind what we're doing. And it is so hard for someone outside of an early intervention scope to see how play is utilized to support development and a child's main occupation. So Sarah, do you play all day? I play all day and I love it. But the big difference is, and this is exactly what you just said, Danielle, the level of cognitive energy that goes into being an early intervention practitioner about what we're looking at. We're looking at motor. We're looking at cognition. We're looking at language. We're looking at social, emotional, adaptive behavior, all the skills that we talked about in the assessment episode that we did. We're also looking at the participation in occupations, in play, in the relationships with their caregivers, with their family members, with their siblings. There is so much going on within the brain of an OT practitioner working in early intervention that one of the things that I found that it's so important that we share this with whoever it is that is with that child, that we are talking through what it is that we're looking at, what it is that we're seeing, where it is that we want to be going. Because to the outsider, yeah, it looks like we are just putting cones on our head and we're fake sneezing them off and the kids are laughing and we're 
stacking blocks and knocking them over. But there's so many other developmental skills that we are addressing there that it's not just play. So we've heard the phrase, a means to an end. And I think play is our end and play is our means. We use play as our medium. So we're using play to help our kiddos participate in their daily activities. And like you said, Sarah, we're breaking down that exact action, that playtime routine, that playtime activity, and we're looking at those skills. So we're using play as our medium in order to help the kiddos participate in all of their occupations. So I love it. I play all day. I call myself a play therapist sometimes, and I love it. I think that it's amazing. And like you said, Danielle, we chose a great profession that allows us to play all day and get paid for it. I love that so much. Today, we busted a lot of myths within the early intervention profession. We want to hear from you. What are some other myths that you've heard about early intervention? Make sure to contact us on Instagram at the real OTs of EI with dots in between, or check us out on our website at therealots.com. We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com for more information about anything discussed in the episode and sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources. And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention. Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.